Hi guys, welcome to the Simple Doesn't Mean Easy podcast. We are here weekly working at simplifying things in our lives one day at a time, one simple step at a time. And together, guys, we can do this. I'm your host, Michelle Visser. And today is episode 15 in season five, which is all about simple steps towards improving our health. And today's episode is basically a prescription for better sleep. I'm super excited about the sleep expert who is a world-renowned expert who is taking the time to work through a lot of things with us that I think might be life-changing for you if you struggle with sleep or if, like me, you don't prioritize sleep as much as you should. I also wanted to tell you, I'm super excited about a giveaway. I have a copy of every book that we have covered in this season. We have had multiple authors on and each author has um, volunteered to send a copy of their book to the winner of this giveaway. So if you could go over and leave a review on Apple podcast for this podcast, I'm going to choose a winner, the last episode of this season. And I will announce the winner in the first episode of season six. So if you would like to grab, to have your own copy of each book that we have been working through. So we have Four Habits of a Joy-Filled People. That was last episode. Dr. Prather's book, The Sleep Prescription, that we're walking through today. The Wolf in Their Pockets. That was episode 13, I think. And A Healthy Mouth, A Healthy You, back when Dr. Michelle was on. Fantastic book. All of them have so much value. And of course, why not? I'm going to throw in a copy of Sweet Maple, too. So go over and leave a five-star review if you get a chance over an Apple podcast, and that will automatically enter you for a chance to win one of each of these books. Well, Dr. Prather, I am so glad that you took the time to be with us today in this season of the podcast, because our topic is all about simple ways to improving your health. And I feel like sleep might be the most simplest yet most complicated one of them all. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. It is It is so magical, but often so elusive. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Now, I know you're a world-renowned sleep scientist, and I know you have pretty much cracked the code on getting a good night's rest, <laughs> but tell us just a little bit more about yourself and what you do on an everyday basis. Yeah, of course. Um, and thank you for having me. Um, so I'm a professor here at the University of California, San Francisco. Uh, and I kind of run a research program focused on the causes and consequences of insufficient sleep. So we study things about like how sleep affects the immune system, what things in our lives impact our ability to sleep. But then I also help um, run a clinic here um, where we treat people with insomnia, right? Insomnia is a really common sleep disorder. And uh, we use um, kind of the first line kind of most empirically supported treatment uh, for insomnia disorder, which is cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. So kind of mentioning me cracking the code, it's really just trying to kind of distill a lot of the principles that we know are so, um, so useful in understanding how sleep works and 
you know, how we can get it back on track when it doesn't seem to work as well as we'd like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I know in your book, you go into all sorts of strategies that have really literally helped thousands of people who were totally sleep deprived, get their lives back. I mean, it's huge. Um, but I also know there are people like myself who don't have trouble falling asleep. I, people that come into your clinic would hate me because literally my head hits the pillow and boom, I'm gone. <laughs> but my problem that I wanted to mention before we dive into everything else is the fact that I don't, even though I know it's important, I don't value sleep the way I should. And I know you talk about that in the book. Um, by the way, the book is called The Sleep Prescription, Seven Days to Unlocking Your Best Rest. I love it. I've read two thirds of it, like going to the different pieces that I knew I needed. And now I'm going to go back and finish it. It's a fantastic book read. I highly recommend. Um, but I, I know you talk about how our society values just always being busy. Our society puts great value in, you know, being productive. You have to be productive. And we tend to, I know I do this. We tend to say, well, sleep, isn't important. I got to get the work done. So I'm not going to worry so much if I only get six hours of sleep a night, which I tend to average, I'm not going to worry so much about that. Um, and I know you talk about how it doesn't even make sense because sleep makes us more productive. So go ahead and preach to me on that, please. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it. it is uh, a rampant problem, right? We're kind of a doer society. Um, and, and you know, I think it comes at a cost and the cost is kind of in the the sleep, the restoration um, that we can get from kind of a good night's sleep. And, you know, I, I like to think that over the last, you know, decade, kind of people are kind of waking up to the importance of sleep. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and you know, I think that's a, a really great thing. And, and I, but it's true that oftentimes people don't invest in it in the same way, despite the fact that kind of all of the science that we do here and people do around the around the world kind of show fairly conclusively that kind of we're a better version of ourselves when we get the sure. sleep we need, right? For we're sure. kind of better parents, we're better partners, we're more empathetic, we're more creative. We're better productive. new puppy owners, which is where I am right now. I, ba I lose I mean, patience yeah. so much with those puppies when I don't get enough sleep. I see it. Yeah. Um, I mean, though the puppies may be what, causing so, the problem. I don't know. And well, I don't know we're well going to get into sleeping. a little bit about that too. Yeah. Because I mean, it's like having a newborn and so many of my followers on yeah. Instagram, I polled my followers about this yeah. episode. And that was definitely one thing that came up again and again was babies, not puppies. I was the only one with babies, the puppy. Yeah. <laughs> but um. Okay, so 98% of my followers said absolutely they knew sleep was important for overall health. Mm. But 70% of them said they know they never get enough sleep. So do you see that like that's kind of the average in our society? It's crazy. I mean, it it's true that many people kind of walk around feeling kind of inadequately rested, right? Despite the fact that we know that it's important. I mean, in the same way that we know that everyone can agree that, oh yeah, I probably should exercise more. Oh, right. Like mm. I should probably eat better. Right. Like, I mean, we know those facts, but then it's yeah. kind of, how do we uh, kind of manage our time? Some of it is out of our control. Some of it is sure. under our control. And, and I think, you know, like I, you know, I think of 
kind of the way in which kind of these sleep challenges play out is really kind of like nested within a person, then within a family, then within a community, then kind of there's certain kind of uh, policy issues that kind of impact people differentially and like their opportunity for sleep, um, which, and, and so we can kind of identify opportunities for interventions in all of those layers. Um, right. But, you know, at the individual level, like there are things that people can do and, you know, I mean, some of it is, is out of our control and we have to kind of figure out how to best manage that. Um, but, you know, walking around, not feeling kind of, you're like, you're getting the sleep you need can be tough and it, you know, we know that, you know, from the epidemiologic literature, right, kind of these population-based studies, that people who kind of get, you know, fewer than five hours, fewer than six hours over the long term are at increased risk for a whole host of things from cardiovascular disease to cardiometabolic problems like type 2 diabetes, obesity, and then kind of growing a growing um, literature base around kind of neurodegenerative diseases. Now, of course, that's all at the population level, like mean level. And I, one thing I want to emphasize is that, you know, it's not a one size fits all with sleep, right? We've kind of learned that, you know, there's like a range. People probably need at least seven hours or seven to nine hours as an adult. But, you know, there are people that don't. There are people who need more. And, you know, one of the challenges with insomnia is often that people are kind of tied to this kind of metric that they want to achieve. Um, despite the fact that they feel pretty good during the day, but it's just causing them so much distress that they're mm -hmm. not getting that sleep. And, yeah. and you know, that, that actually feeds insomnia, right? There's kind of what, well, if I don't get the sleep, like, am I going to die earlier? And, and, you know, like yeah. when you're thinking that all the time, I mean, you're certainly not going to be sleeping. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing in that way. I got to say, I love it that now that I feel like we're kind of meeting in person, it's kind of sad that Zoom has become meeting in person, but you know what I mean? <laughs> I got to love it that you actually meet the personality in the book. Because as I'm reading the book, I'm thinking, this guy, he's just saying some of these things because he thinks he needs to say it. But there's no way a sleep doctor really means this. Like he really yeah. drinks caffeine, like really, you know, <laughs> but you're real. And I think that's yeah. so important to being effective at what you do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank, um, thank you for saying that. I mean, it was, it is written in my voice and uh, the audio book is in my voice and it was certainly oh, cool. one of the hard, hardest things I've ever done. I've always wanted to make an done. audio book, you know, Man. get me in with somebody. Cause I have always wanted to do that. Just saying. <laughs> it was much harder than I had imagined. Yeah. I, it turns yeah. out I'm just really bad at reading out loud, like just oh. bad at it. Just, well, my not... book is all about making maple syrup and nobody wants that on audio. <laughs> so nobody's ever going to ask me to read mine on audio. <laughs> Okay, so one thing we've been talking about this season, because when I was trying to decide what the theme was in the podcast this season, I had a lot of people that wanted it to be menopause related. So because my audience is either like in the 30 to 40 range, and they want to know what's coming, or I have yeah. people my age, you know, that follow me that are dealing with menopause. So I promised everyone that in each episode, I would bring that topic in. Turns out I didn't have to make any effort at all with this episode, because when I polled my followers, a huge percentage mentioned something about menopause. Now, we all know about the hot flashes. We all understand mm -hmm. how that impacts our sleep. And I think a lot of us, we've talked in previous episodes about ways to reduce those hot flashes, but it's not just that, right? Because menopause impacts your mood. It impacts depression. I think all of that is going to have a huge impact on waking us up at night. Yes. Or helping us not get to sleep. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, that it is it is absolutely true that, you know, sleep disturbances spike for women during the menopausal transition. Um, you know, some of that is due most of many, much of that is due to the hot flashes which are kind of uncomfortable and you yeah. know, kind of a change in your kind of thermal regulation. It's awful. Thermal you literally think you're going to die and you're like, yeah. how is anybody else in the room surviving? <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, it's, that's, that's really challenging. And, um, you know, I mean, it has, has been shown that kind of, so, I mean, the challenge is that, okay, there's, there's these kind of hot flashes. Um, they wake people up, um, understandably. And so how do you manage those? And right. So this is kind of things like, kind of managing what you're wearing and managing your, you know, the covers and managing kind of like airflow and, you know, things yeah. for cooling. But then what often can happen is, you know, people kind of their mind wakes up, they start worrying, they, yeah. you know, our default is often not to like focus on kind of all the positive things in our lives. It's the kind of the negative things and those, mm -hmm. those keep us up. Right. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, though hot flashes can be a trigger and those are often, kind of unavoidable in in that way, unfortunately. I mean, it's kind of about managing. Um, but, uh, you know, getting back to sleep is something that we can kind of address. And that's where kind of the same principles are, are put in place that it is for anybody that has insomnia. And, you know, clinical trials have shown that, say, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia has been effective in kind of treating insomnia symptoms among women going through the menopausal transition. So, you know, for, for many, it can be helpful um, but you're right. There are other aspects to that that are kind of, kind of all kind of bundled in together, right? Like changes yeah. in mood, kind of you know dysregulation of hormones, all those things that we're we're still trying to understand. And and for depression in particular, um, that's another place where there's you know there's this kind of bidirectional relationship, and we can't really ever at this point in in the research know um, for whom uh, you know the sleep problems are kind of part and parcel of the depression or they're contributing to the depression. So there's yeah. seems to be kind of a subset of people who are depressed. And if we treat their insomnia symptoms specifically, just that, just those alone, their depression will improve, right? Suggesting huh. that like the insomnia was causal right. in that. But then there are other people where, you know, you treat their insomnia and they're still depressed. And, and so maybe there's, there's kind of adjunctive or, you know, independent treatment that's, that's required. And, you know, it, you know, we're, whenever such a thing as a holistic sleep doctor, because I feel like you are one, <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is there such well, a thing? I mean, you have to uh, think about the whole person, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously a really complex issue and there are lots of things that, you know, so what we do in our, in our clinic is we are kind of like a, like a specialty clinic. I mean, it, okay. there, there's such a, there's such an incredible need, right? There's just so many people walking around with uh, not getting the sleep they need. And so we really try to kind of figure out how we can see as many people as possible. And this is true of all like behavioral sleep medicine clinics. And what that means often is that, you know, we focus on their sleep, right? They're like, someone comes in and they have all this trauma, right? Mm -hmm. And that's like causing their sleep problem. We'll tr focus on their sleep. But, you okay. know, because of the, the kind of the, the way that like, it's, it's a very kind of manualized kind of like step-by-step -step recipe really. Um, and uh, so we don't have like the next, you know, five years to like work on all the traumatic stuff. And so we often have to kind of 
farm that out or find another therapist or, or clinician to, to work with that. And, you know, I, I can't say that it's particularly satisfying in that way. Right. Because you know, that there's so much more work to do and, you know, maybe they need a nutritionist and maybe they need management for like medications and all those things. And it's really uh, kind of unfortunate the way that it's all splintered that way. Um, But it makes sense. So what you're saying is when they come to see you, you just focus on sleep and, and maybe you can give them all the help they need. And if not, you're able to yeah. at least tell them what areas you see that they might need to follow up with. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, we try to okay. stay in our lane in some, yeah. <laughs> in some respects. Okay, well, let's get back to that big word I mentioned earlier, caffeine. Yeah, I know around the world, you said this in your book, that there were 1.4 trillion cups of coffee, I believe, being drank. I believe it was in 2020, sometime around then. Yeah. So I know yeah. it's a really... It's a big thing. People love their yeah. coffee. I mean, there's a big market yeah. for it. So tell us about caffeine. Just just tell yeah, us. Yeah, caffeine caffeine <laughs> absolutely is, you know, the the most common drug used around the world, mm-hmm. right? I yeah. mean, it's a stimulant. Um, and it can be really helpful in right in maintaining alertness. Um, but uh, the challenge is that it's it's for many people, it stays in your body for a long time. Yeah, you talk right? about and the half life. Yeah. So, so the, so a half-life is kind of how long does it have to be, you know, how much time has to go by for half of it to be left in your system or have to have kind of dissipated out. And, you know, caffeine for most people, it's around six hours. So that means, you know, at, if you have a double espresso at 4 PM, like at 10 PM, you still have a single espresso kind of coursing through your veins. Right. And so it's no big surprise that um, it, it can affect our ability to sleep. Um, yeah. you know, I think, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because obviously there are places in the world where, um, you know, it's part of the culture to have co- coffee after dinner and things like that. Some people have decaf, mm-hmm. some, some don't, um, you know, there are like areas in say Italy where there it's thought to be potentially that there's kind of a hereditary aspect to metabolism around caffeine, right? Hmm. And so, you know, from certain areas or regions, people might be kind of, there might be an overabundance of like super metabolizers, right? Where like, you know, there's families that say, oh no, coffee doesn't bother me at all. Like it just, you know, I can go to sleep, no problem. But for others, right? that, That there's truth to that? Well, there is certainly true that there's, kind of variability in how fast we metabolize caffeine, okay. right? There are people okay. absolutely, and and probably some of your listeners that are just really sensitive to it, right? Yeah. That like, you know, they just have a piece of chocolate and it's like they're awake for, for hours and hours I would go insane. Hours, right? I'm the exact opposite end of the spectrum. Not only can I go to sleep the second my head hits the pillow, I can have caffeine right up until that point. It, it's never kept yeah. me up. And so, so it's also, you know, there are like other complications here too, though, right? I mean, so there, are, you know, sleep is really interesting because it's so ritualized, right? Like it's like, yeah. you know, there are all these cues in our environment that tell a, tell our body what's happening next. Yeah. And sleep is one where mo- many people have like very clear routines, right? They mm-hmm. like, you know, they put on their pajamas, they brush their teeth, they, yep. you know, spend time with their loved ones, whatever. And the bed itself is such an important environmental trigger that, you know, sleep is really about kind of the buildup of your sleep drive, right? And this need for sleep, but also this feeling of safety, right? Because you really have to let go. You have to kind of allow that to happen because we can overcome that, right? When we don't feel safe, when we're hypervigilant, I mean, we could be as tired as, you know, as, as usual, but like just stay up anyway, right? Mm -hmm. We have stressors in our life. And so all of those things kind of play a role 
And, and for some people may be able to kind of overcome the chemical aspect of caffeine, right? Okay. In the same way that I have so many people that, that uh, have insomnia that, you know, take sleep medications that are pretty powerful. And they'll say things like, you know, last night, my Ambien just didn't work. And it's like, it's, <laughs> it's not like you change, like the medicine's still in your system, but like we can overcome that. Right. Um, and it's, it's, you know, so it's not, it's never just one thing, but you know, it's true. Like caffeine, like having, you know, sleeping, a trying to sleep in like a brightly lit room or someplace where lots of noise is happening can be hard. Right. And so all of yeah. those things can kind of chip away at your ability to kind of let go and allow kind of sleep to come to you. Yeah. Yeah. And when you said hypervigilant, that really triggered me that that is what my husband's problem is. Bill has always had trouble going to sleep, always, but he's also a major like protector role kind of figure yeah. has always been. He's the oldest brother, you know, and and he doesn't want to miss a thing. <laughs> so yeah. if there's a tiny little sound, he needs to know about it, you know? Yeah. 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 That's, yeah. That's... I mean, it's, it's funny. I think about this too. I mean, so I have uh, two kids, um, 11 year old and a seven year old and um, like my wife like sleeps through almost everything. And like, but dads I, can't, I'm like right? always, well, yeah. like, I don't know if it's gendered that way, but it's like, but for whatever reason for me, like I, it's like, I'm like sleeping with like one ear open yeah, all the time. That's how Bill is. And I know. it's just, yeah. you know, and it just is, yeah. it is that way. Guys, let's pause for a second and talk about salt. Our bodies need salt. We need it for nerve impulses to actually work. We need it to be able to contract and relax our muscles. And we can't maintain a proper balance of water and minerals if we aren't eating enough salt. But what salt you're using actually matters. You wanna make sure there's no artificial additives and no unhealthy pollutants. But it's also important to know the source of your sodium in your electrolytes. Now that summer is here, if you're drinking electrolyte drinks, I can tell you there are no better hydration drinks on the planet than the ones offered at Redmond Real Salt. I love it that Redmond actually adds dual magnesium, malate and glycinate, which are both bioavailable forms of magnesium, meaning your body can really easily absorb it and use it. And that's important in an electrolyte drink because magnesium is an electrolyte that plays a really vital role in our energy. Side note, salt actually causes our intestines to absorb more calcium in our diet. We've been talking a lot this whole season about menopause and Osteoporosis is a big fear of someone who's facing menopause or in menopause. So if you, like me, are of that age, it's good to know that salt is good. And you might as well add in 60 trace minerals too, right? So go check out solelyrested.com slash salt and use code sweet salt there at solelyrested.com slash salt. I link to my absolute favorite Redmond Real Salt products from electrolyte drinks to seasonings. But you can choose anything that your heart desires. Just use code sweet salt and save 15% on your entire order. And guys, extra bonus, great news. If you're ordering $30 or more, shipping's even free. 
So you're getting your 60 extra trace minerals and you're not even paying shipping for it. If you're ordering $30 or more, go check out solelyrested.com slash salt and use code sweet salt. Okay. I love changing gears a little. You did something in the book that I really, I got to that part and I went, wow, I just couldn't stop. I couldn't put it down because you totally debunk some ideas and it is uh-huh. not what I was expecting. I truly thought some of your things that you would say, this is what you really need to do to have a better night's sleep. You're like, you know what? You could do it, but it's not a silver bullet. And the two things that come to mind, blue light glasses and melatonin. So could you tell us a little bit about why they're not a silver bullet? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so melatonin, um, just for, for context, right. Is a kind of endogenous hormone that is made. It's, I have no idea what that adjective means. You want to tell me what that Uh, means? Meaning like it's, it's, it's made in our body, right? Like we make it ourselves. Um, and so versus, you know, you can take a hormone supplement, which is what that is. And that's exogenous. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's something our brain makes, uh, and it's triggered, um, under darkness, right? So melatonin is released by the pineal gland and it basically, I think of it as, kind of like setting the table for sleep, right? Like it doesn't make people fall asleep, but it's, it kind of cues your body, um, and, you know, it's a very common um, for people to take it as a supplement. Um, and, and then, so, but, but the literature, at least for treating insomnia, suggests that um, it, it's, it's kind of mixed or like only has like a modest effect to help people fall asleep. Now, that's not to say that people don't experience sleepiness by taking melatonin because it's, you know, it's clearly has, it's chemically active, but just the the, the evidence that we use kind of kind of the gold standard kind of randomized clinical uh, controlled trials just suggest that it, it doesn't it's not that helpful compared to a placebo. And that's true for a lot of a lot of sleep medications. It turns out because you know feeling like you're doing something helps people let go, right Like yeah. it, it feels like it like they don't have to put in the same kind of work. And mm. that's that work, that effort is actually what yeah. often gets in the way of people falling asleep, right? It's like, you're trying to like white knuckle it and make it happen. But like sleep isn't something that you make happen. It's something that- And I love that phrase. I think you end the book on that note, actually, that these are all tools to basically help you get out of your own way because you can't sleep unless you get out of your own way. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, so then it, it, it ties into these, to the, the blue light, right? So then, so the concern around blue light exposure uh, which is, you know, spectrum of, of visible light is that it actually impacts um, the ability for melatonin to be secreted, right? Like it shuts it down just like sunlight um, mm-hmm. in the morning. Um, and I, you know, I think there are absolutely evidence, there's absolutely evidence to suggest that that happens, right? Like if you get a lot of blue light exposure, it can affect your melatonin secretion for some people who are maybe, you know, act- very sensitive to it, it can, it can impact their sleep. But I guess the case that I was making is that, um, you know, it, a lot of what keeps people up isn't the light exposure. It's actually the content that they're consuming yes. during that time, right? So, and you know, if again, you, you yeah. being real, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you being oh. real, you totally are you, like, I look at social media before I go to bed sometimes. And I know people are going <laughs> to do that, you know, but then go on to explain. I know you talk about it's the content that you're looking at, right? Yeah. So, you know, like social media um, in particular, you know, is really it's created to keep people engaged, uh-huh. right? Like it's, it's like, that's their model. 
And, Absolutely. and so, you know, that rewarding experience in your brain, like keeps you coming back for more. And it's very difficult to go to sleep and do that, right? Like to kind of fight yep. that urge. And, and so for some people, it's, it's not bothersome that, you know, it's, 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 but I mean, if you're trying to work on your sleep, like this is a place to start, right? Like actually trying to disengage from that. And I think like just disengaging from things that are activating to your brain yeah. is like a good way to move forward. And that doesn't mean you have to sit in silence and kind of just be with your thoughts because that can be challenging too. But like finding things that are like, you know, comforting. Like I, I think of things as like, you know, slightly pleasant, kind of low, low arousal. Like, mm -hmm. you know, for some people it's reading, for some people it's meditation, for some people it's listening to music, for some people it's watching TV, but things maybe they've seen before that they're not right. kind of, you know, waiting to see what happens. It's not the time to like start the next, right. you know, crime series that you're like, oh, right. I can't wait. But watch a Friends episode from yeah, the 1990s. Whatever. Yeah, <laughs> something, whatever, something like, yeah. something that like, you know, and, and, and that, that can help with kind of the winding down. Um, and, and, you know, if you are someone that's really sensitive to blue, I mean, most of many devices have filters on them. So I think you should put the filter on, I mean, just in case, but I guess I think that like, I guess I have the opinion that like a, an industry was created around this yes. blue light concern. And yes. I think though there is science to support it, and I don't dispute that at all, I think we're kind of missing a critical piece around what might be going on for most people. Yes, yes, yeah. I agree so much. Um, and uh, something you just said that I just drew a blank now. I hate it when my brain does that. Is that because I don't get enough sleep? <laughs> you know, it's hard to tell, but... <laughs> Uh, okay. So in your book, I mean, the subtitle is seven days to unlocking your best rest. You, yeah. I already just alluded to this. You literally give us tools and you break it down in a seven day in chunks of what to do each day yeah. for seven days. I know we don't have time for you to go into the whole depth and people absolutely need to get the book, you know, to get the depth. There's a lot there, but can you rapid fire, just kind of give us an insight into what some of those tools are? I don't expect you to remember all of them and, you know, but just... What are some of the things that you are recommending in the book? Maybe I should yeah, say yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you know the premise of the book is really that a lot of focus is spent on like if you want to get a good night's sleep, a lot of people focus on kind of the hours before bed um, as like that's that's the the magic time to do that, and that's an important time. But actually, there's like things you can do throughout the whole day, um, and and the you know the first thing you can do starts like right when you wake up, and it's actually a really critical thing. And I always say that you know if I could do one thing for someone, it would be this. And it's to stabilize your wake time. It's like, so seven days a week, right? And that's, that's challenging. People do, don't necessarily love that because we love sleeping in. And, 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 you know, I'm not the fun police in that way. It's just, if you're <laughs> trying to fix your sleep, if you're really, you know, worried about it, I mean, this is a, like a very critical place where you can do that because what it does. So there, I mean, basically there are two kind of main biological processes that regulate your sleep. Like the first is your internal rhythm, um, your circadian rhythm, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of entrained by the environment. And it, I think of it as like an alerting signal that like builds up throughout the day and then kind of wanes in the evening. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it turns out like our body craves predictability. Like the more predictable you can be with your behavior, just the more efficient it works because our brains are like predicting machines and they, they, they wanna make the best choices they can. But, and so the more kind of 
regu- regulated everything is, like the better we'll make those. And so it's, you know, it starts with, with uh, maintaining your stable wake time. The other key biological process is what's called your homeostatic sleep drive. And that kind of builds up throughout the day. And, and so by kind of waking up at the same time, you're basically starting that process around the same time. And thus you'll get kind of sleepy around the same time of night. Um, and I, I mean, I think the other important part, like that I, you know, when I think about this with, with treating people that have sleep problems is, you know, a lot of people might hear, well, I need to get up at the same time. I need to go to bed at the same time. And I actually think that the um, going to bed at the same time is really challenging for someone that has insomnia and they hear that information, mm-hmm. you know, say they say their bedtime is now 1045, you know, sleep doc said, go to bed at 1045. And like, you know, all of a sudden it's like 1020 and they're like, well, I'm not feeling very sleepy. And it's like 1030. Like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, <laughs> like I'm not getting sleepy. And then it's like tick, 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 tick. Yep. Right. And then it's like 1045 and they're like wired because now it's like, they're like, oh my God, like I didn't go to bed. Like, I don't, I don't feel sleepy yep. at all. Like now what? And you know, then it's like, it's a really challenging night. And, and that's because like, we don't get to choose that. Right. We don't decide when we fall asleep. Now we can make, you know, set everything up and be, you know, for the best probability, but like things happen in the world. Like, you know, maybe you get in an argument with your spouse right before bed, or like your kid has a nightmare or, you know, there's a, like a car. Or the puppy has to go out for the 18th time. Or the puppy or this puppy. (laughs) And so, you know, all of those things can undermine our ability to, to fall asleep. And so, you know, we have to just kind of allow that system to kind of work itself out and, and do the best we can and know that, you know, you have these biological processes that are going to kind of work in your favor. Um, and so, you know, stabilizing your your wake up time seven days a week is something you can control. Like you can't control that. when sleep comes to you, but you can control when you wake up. And so that's, that's absolutely the first place to start. Hmm. I love that. Um, I thought of the thing that I, my brain forgot because yeah, I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. You had mentioned the lady with her cross stitch. And I loved that mm. story that what you think as a relaxing thing for someone to do in those last few hours before bed. And even what we might think, Oh, I get, I I relax for her. She said, I relax when I do cross stitch, but then she wound up like staying up most of the night to get more projects done. Right. Because she turns out she loves cross stitch. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner in that way. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I mean, I, I like always think about sleep as it's universal, but it's also really personal. Right. Like we all do it, but like there are uniquenesses to us. And, and so that's why it's like it, the, the thing you do isn't as important as how it makes you feel in this way. Right. Like we're trying to wind down, kind of feel relaxed, feel, you know, that you're able to make this transition, but, and, and there are kind of these general things that tend to work for people, but like, you know, like I, like the cross is a good example. Like I've had people where, you know, they just devour books, right? Like for me, I'm like a couple pages and I'm yeah. like, I'm like, oh my God, like I me have too. to reread it the next day. But you know, for other people, it's like, this is their, it's like a drug. It's, Gotta it's, get to and the so, end. Yep. Yeah. And yep. so, you know, like for them, it's like, oh, well, no, reading, reading is not the right idea or, you know, yeah. certain types yeah. of, of literature is not the right idea. And so, you know, it's like about finding yeah. what works for you. Um, but, but with the goal of, kind of doing something for yourself, but not something that's going to be so activating that it, it's going to kind of chip away at your ability to sleep. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I love you have some charts in the book that help us see that. And at the end of the book, you have like literal charts to help us keep a sleep journal. So there's lots of really good hands-on tools as well as all the really great tips that you walk us through on a daily basis. Um, okay. So those Instagram followers I mentioned, they sent me so many questions and I went through yeah. and tried to categorize them. So I have maybe, I don't know, six or seven things. I'm, can I just rapid fire? And I want yeah. rapid fired answers. Yes. I, you don't rapid have fired to answers. I promise. Okay. I promise. Okay. okay. Can you catch up on sleep with a nap? Yes. It can help with alertness. Um, and it could undermine your ability to fall asleep at night. Um, so, you know, if you, but, and so it's just about kind of your expectations. Like if you sleep a bunch during the day, it, you may not sleep the same as you usually do at night. Right. And I think, do you give a recommendation of like 20 minutes or something to try and keep it? Yeah. So most, short? most of the time you want to keep it short, 10 to, you know, 20 minutes is probably fine. You, the, 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 the risk is like, if you drop into deep sleep, if you sleep yeah. longer, um, often people feel what's called sleep inertia, which is like that mm -hmm. grogginess and and you feel worse than when you went to went to I sleep. Hate, so I hate naps for that yeah. reason. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. How can you, is there a way to avoid waking up at night? Oddly enough, this is the thing. So many people told me, am I crazy, Dr. Prather? But they told me two to 3 a.m. I'm not kidding. Yeah. Like 20 people told me they wake up at, in, the, in that time frame. Is there anything they can do about it? Something that's causing that? What's... Yeah. So it's really natural. Um, you know, and there's like a long historical kind of, you know, theory around, you know, there was this time before lighting where we had a two sleep, right. Where we go to bed, like when the sun went down, we'd sleep for a few hours, wake up, be a awake for a couple hours and go to sleep again. And, and so it's that. possible that it's like an evolutionary characteristic of sleep. Hmm. Um, I think, uh, you know, off what we do, it, if people have true insomnia, is we will often push their bedtime later to try to squeeze out that awakening in the night just because okay. you, and, and it's less about the awakening itself, but actually the getting back to sleep. Like sometimes right. people wake up and they like feel like they've gotten a good dose of sleep. And so they're awake for a little bit. I think it's, so I think it's important for everybody to know it's really natural. Um, it also increases in frequency as we age. And that's just okay. like an, a function of age that we don't necessarily understand, but like that is known. Um, okay. And, you know, just trying to try to not to freak out about it because that's probably what is you know contributing to keeping yes. people awake because the awakenings you know we often like as we get older particularly like use the bathroom things like that like that's that's just part of how it is yep. it's the kind of distress about it that can be problematic yeah okay a lot of people asked is it detrimental yeah. that i hit the snooze many times every morning detrimental i mean probably not detrimental I mean, but it goes against what you were telling us. It goes against what I'm time. saying. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. I mean, it's it 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 raises questions about, you know, is it impacting your sleep at night? Um, is it a symptom of your not getting the sleep you need? Um, yeah. You know, is it is it something that you can address? I mean, I, I will say that it's un, although it may feel this way for very many people and I hear this a lot like that nine minutes of sleep that you get is probably not the best sleep given that it just gets broken up and broken up and broken up. But I, yeah. I also am a human and know that that can be like the most special nine minutes of your life, uh, at least in that <laughs> moment. And, and so, you know, it's really about like, you know, how, you know, where are the opportunities to kind of make improvements and maybe it's just a simple behavioral challenge. Like, okay, I'm not going to do that for a week and see what else happens in my life. Like, how do I feel different? Um, and that's point. where those sleep diaries can be really helpful. I was just going to say, and keep a diary, write it down. Yeah. Or yeah. they can get a puppy. That'll break the snooze button too. Right, right. <laughs> okay. Um, I had people in the military and tons of moms with babies ask, 
Yeah. Can they maximize their quality of sleep when they just can't get the quantity? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a really challenging one. I mean, I think um, usually when people are, I mean, the good news is that oftentimes our body will take care of us for like what we essentially need, right? So if we deprive someone of sleep for the entire night, um, you know, as soon as they go, let them go to sleep, they'll like immediately drop into deep sleep, right? Like our body will try to recoup that, if, yeah. you know, and so in that way, that can be, you know, really important and, and, and just evidence that like, as humans, we have these systems in place to try to kind of maximize our functioning, um, despite inadequate amounts of sleep. Um, you know, I think in the military for moms, you know, for parents in general, uh, you know, it's, it can be challenging. And, you know, the good news is that we're kind of built for this, like evolutionarily, like, you know, raising kids for millennia across millennia. And so, um, you know, you know, it may be a, an issue of kind of your sleep is broken in some way, but um, kind of managing it. And then, you know, making sure that you're not kind of getting in your own way with kind of stimulants and stuff when you're not yeah. sleeping, right? Like, and that's, yeah, that's, that's sure. often a big problem, particularly in the military, like when people are, have to be alert, but Definitely. you know, that stuff doesn't just drop out of your system. And so um, that's something to keep in mind. Yeah. What about, well, taking magnesium help with sleep? I had a few folks ask about magnesium. Yeah. Magnesium, um, you know, has been shown to be, um, you know, at least anecdotally effective. And there is some evidence to suggest for some people it's effective. I mean, it's not something that we typically um, will recommend, I mean, like on its own. Um, okay. But I mean, I've definitely met enough people that say that it's helpful. And I think, you know, I don't think it's something that will necessarily hurt individuals. So it's it's okay. kind of innocuous in that way. But of course, you'd always want to kind of consult with your physician to make sure that there aren't any contraindications with medications and things like that. Okay. A lot of people, I'm sure you hear this said, they have no trouble going to sleep except their spouse falls asleep first and their spouse always snores. Yeah. 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 I mean, that <laughs> is a challenge. No, for sure. And I mean, you know, it's, it's a, uh, that's, that's like a whole, like you can do things environmentally. I mean, the good news is that for most of us, I would say almost all of us uh, chose our partner based on other characteristics other than their sleeping right, behavior. So, right. you know, hopefully it makes up for it in some way. Right. Uh, but, you know, I mean, you know, and, and like, I think it's, it's always kind of an interesting conversation for people to have about, you know, how can we make sure that we all get the sleep we need? I mean, if someone's snoring really loudly, I'd urge them to, you know, potentially get evaluated for obstructive sleep apnea. It's very underdiagnosed, um, but yep. can be very harmful. Um, yep. And and trying to set the environment the best you can to to protect the noise so that you can sleep well. And maybe to find a way to have positive thoughts, like you said earlier, instead of the negative thoughts. Think yeah. about the things you love yeah. about your spouse while they're snoring exactly. away, right? <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. All right. So everybody needs to get a copy of this book, The Sleep Prescription, Seven Days to Unlocking Your Best Sleep. And where can we find you? What else would you like us to know? I think you can find that book anywhere they sell books online. Um, okay. I hope everyone gets the sleep they need and, and invests in it. Uh, the best they can because it will uh you know it will serve you well um going forward so it was really great to Absolutely. chat about this thanks so much for being here yeah thank you well guys i hope that you enjoyed dr prather and his down-to-earth straightforward look at the whole person kind of attitude as much as i did i thoroughly enjoyed talking to him i was a little nervous beforehand talking to a world-renowned sleep expert i got to admit I thought it'd be a lot of science that I wasn't ready for or able to put my brain around. <laughs> and I just didn't think he'd be so down to earth. So good stuff. Yes. Um, a couple of things that Dr. Prather said that I did want to just give a little bit of my thought 
our insight on, um, he mentioned meditation very briefly. And that brought to mind something that I wanted to share with you guys that as a Christian, I personally do not believe we should meditate in the way that near Eastern religions do where you're emptying your mind. Your goal is to completely empty your mind and be in a state of relaxation. I don't believe as Christians, we should do that. Um, the Bible makes it quite clear and it does make it clear that we should meditate in a different way and we should meditate on the word of God and the amazingness of the joy and the grace that he offers us. There's actually a specific Hebrew word for meditation, as it's mentioned in Psalm one, where it says we should meditate on his word day and night. The word meditate is actually the Hebrew word hagad, H-A-G-A-D. And the cool thing about this word is it is a very active word. It actually means make a noise. So the idea is you're thinking so much on the greatness of God and the blessings he's giving you and the joy in your day. It's because of the breath that he's given you that you get to a point that you're just, amen. And you want to say something about it and you want to make a noise. So it's very different than the idea of emptying your mind. Instead, it's an active meditation, if that makes sense. Also, he mentioned evolution and I just wear a different set of glasses when it comes to how the earth and we came into being. I don't believe that we have evolved over millions of years. I believe very firmly in Genesis, in the Bible, and what it describes of how we have a creator. And to me, even scientifically, looking at it scientifically, it makes more logical sense to me to believe in a creator than to think that the intricacies of our person, the way our eyes work, the way our ears work, the fact that we still can't even comprehend how our brain works. It's so intricate. All of that to me makes more sense that we are the fingerprint of a creator who organized all of us to work together so beautifully, every bit of us. Um, and to think that that could evolve just doesn't make sense to me in any way. Um, but I just wanted to explain that the couple things that he did mention that um, he explained could be an evolutionary result of the way we sleep. The fact, for instance, that mothers can get like almost no sleep being up with their baby. And then when they do get the chance to sleep, their brain wonderfully goes into deep sleep mode immediately so that they can recoup a little bit on the lost rest. I don't see that as an evolutionary thing. I don't think evolution is necessary to understand how that happens. I think it makes more logical sense to go, oh, there is a fingerprint of our creator that he designed us so that when we were losing sleep and he knew we would need it, he made our brain in such a beautiful way that it can do this. And the fact that we, or I shouldn't say we, um, the, the br most brilliant scientists in the world can't really explain how that all works. You know, just as one more thing that shows me, yeah, I'm, I'm really good with resting in the fact that a creator has made our brains so amazingly, beautifully intricate that it can do these amazing things. So, um, and 
Oh, also, if you haven't yet caught last episode, episode 14, I was really surprised. A couple things that Dr. Prather said that I went, huh, that is just like I was talking about last week with Chris Corsi. Some of the way that the ideas intertwined with when we have trouble sleeping, our brain tends to focus on the negative and we sit there and we just think about all the bad things if I can't get to sleep right away. And how last week we were talking with Chris Corsi about how we need to train our brain for joy and how we need joy. And of course, the more joy that we have, the better our sleep is going to be. So Dr. Prather even talks about having um, joy memories and moments that you recall very much like Chris Corsi was talking about. It was very similar. And I think that's everything I wanted to wrap this up with. Oh no, there was one other thing. I'm looking at my notes. From the very beginning of the season, I promise that whenever our topic related to menopause or weight gain, weight gain, weight loss, however you want to say it, that I would bring that in and tie it in in some way when possible. And it crossed my mind after I finished recording with the doctor that, oh, I didn't bring up weight gain and I know that it relates. So I just wanted to share that it's really kind of crazy when we are low in sleep, we are actually also struggling with hormonal problems that aren't menopause related. I know we talked about that, but there are two hormonal problems. when we are lacking in sleep, we have a higher level of one particular hormone that increases our feelings of hunger. And at the very same time, we have a lower level of a different hormone that actually makes us feel full. So these two things completely counterbalance each other. And we put them both out of whack without enough sleep. So if we're not getting enough sleep, we are literally sabotaging our health by making it difficult to maintain a healthy weight. One more reason you really need to get that sleep. And I am preaching to myself, (laughs) but I hope there were some really great tips that Dr. Prather gave that will help you improve your sleep because guys, it's important. So if you could take a second, if you enjoyed this episode to leave a review, you might win a copy of Dr. Prather's book, as well as all the other ones from this fascinating season, all the fascinating authors that have been on. And I think that's it finally. So thanks for listening friends. And remember it is easy to forget how blessed we are to live this life. So enjoy the simple everyday efforts. You'll sleep better And you know what? I know it's not easy, but it's a good life.